This is the Red Sign Podcast, a deep dive into legacy wealth building through real estate. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the conversation on real estate investing. I'm Clay Winder. And I'm Cameron Wilson. Thanks for sticking with us. This conversation is going to continue uh, into leveling up our properties. Or in other words, how do you make those little greenhouses in the Monopoly game turn to hotels? We've had multiple Monopoly references throughout our podcast series, and we're going to keep that going because it is a very good, uh, uh, it's a good example. It's yeah. game of, uh, the game of uh, real, real estate investing life. I well, and it takes a long time to play the game. Same thing with does. real estate. It does. So uh, let's dive right into it with a, a kind of a continuation of the story. So as, as we mentioned in the last episode, Cameron and I own a handful of rental properties together. And one of our first properties was a home in West Valley City here on the west side of the Salt Lake Valley. And this was a property uh, that was in in pre-foreclosure, and it was a short sale. This was bought in the recession. So I won't tell you the numbers because you'll all die how cheap we got it, but it's one of the joys of being in the game back in the recession. But we picked up this property on a short sale, and I only put 5% down payment on it because I that's not true. This one was different. I bought it with hard money because I needed to fund the fix. So I got a home equity line of credit uh, on my dad's house because Ooh. nobody else would lend me money. And I bought the home uh, with that home equity line of credit. And then I had a little bit left over to fund the repairs. And so then I did all of the repairs right after we closed on it. And I moved into the house and I lived in a construction site and, uh, and knocked all that stuff out. And it took me three or four months. And then when I was done with all the repairs, obviously I had to pay my dad's home equity line of credit off as soon as possible because I was nervous to have borrowed family money, uh, but it was, it was a good deal. And I will always be grateful for my dad for doing it because I wouldn't have quite a few deals because I've turned this money a handful of times over, but this was the first one we did. And I refinanced that house and it not only paid off the home equity line of credit, which again, funded the purchase and funded the rehab, but it also we had created 20% equity. So I got him paid off and I own this property with 20% equity and I lived in it and I had put zero of my own money into it. I yeah, put the, a ton of time and effort into it. The Burr method, they call that, yeah, right? It was the BRRR, the buy, renovate, refinance, and then rent. Now I was renting for the beginning, you know, myself, but then after a year or two after that, I moved out and, and have, have had renters in there. But I wanted to start with this story because this is a good example of playing Monopoly when you start with a little greenhouse, which I had out in West Valley City, and then getting to the point where it's like, okay, what's next? Uh, that was one of the first. We owned that for about seven years. And just last year in 2020, we upgraded or leveled up, if you've heard me say, that house into something bigger and better. So we went from the greenhouse to uh, a red house or a red hotel in the well, game. Well, it's kind of funny too. The renters that you put in that house stayed there the whole time. The whole time, the longest renters. Yeah. It's like eight years. Yeah. Yeah, they should have bought a house. They, they should have. They, they made me rich. Yeah. But they but it was a win-win. I kept rent low. That's why they stayed, but not too low. And they took pretty good care of the property. So last year we had the, the aha of... Uh, you know, the, the appreciated, the, the market appreciated, the house was in a, in a, at a point where we could forecast a lot of repairs coming down the pipe. It was an older home. I had remodeled it again, eight years ago, but even a remodeled house, it was still an old home. 
eight years, there's kind of a cycle that seven to 10 years, there's just a lot of things in a house that only have a seven to 10 year lifespan. And so even though I had redone a lot of stuff, there was, there's a lot of maintenance coming up. So we had that discussion of, okay, do we upgrade all these things and, and, and go another seven or eight years, or do we level up? And we chose on this house specifically to level up uh, because we had a, another opportunity that, that had come across our plate, which was a new construction fourplex. So not quite a hotel like in Monopoly, but to go from a, one, a single family home to a fourplex was pretty exciting. And that single family home, when we sold it, again, it was last year, we sold it for 350 and we purchased the fourplex for 750 But here's the beautiful thing, and that is the equity and the cash that we originally put in the home, which was how much? Zero. Zero because of the deal I did with my dad, but we had created this equity. Uh, we had, uh, shoot, now I can't remember how much equity we pulled out of it, but doesn't matter. It was exactly like within just a couple thousand dollars, exactly what was needed for the 20% down of the 750 or 740, whatever it was, uh, fourplex. And so we put that property up for sale. We got it under contract and we teed up what's called a 1031 exchange. What's a 1031 exchange, Cam? Um, well, basically, 1031 is the line in the tax code where it says that you can take money that you have made from a real estate sale, and instead of having it all be taxed by capital gains, you can put it into another property. Right. So if we would have sold the West Valley house and just put that money in our bank account, we would have been subject to capital gains tax. Uh, and now this this is with rental properties. If you live in a property, two of the last five two years. out of the last five years, you do not have capital gains. So you could have moved in for two years and then <laughs> sold it, but I couldn't imagine you living there. Not been there, done that. <laughs> I, I did live there, but it hasn't been two of the last five years. So we opted to do a 1031 exchange. It costs five hundred dollars, so it's pretty inexpensive. But what it allows you to do is, once we sold the property, the equity from that property, the proceeds, I should say, went into this exchange account. And it sits in the exchange account. You have 45 days to identify the property you're going to buy. And then you have a total of 150 days. Actually, it might be 180 days. Yeah. You guys can fact check me, but it's like six months total. So that's 180 days. So you've got six months from the time you the money goes into the exchange account to close on the next one. But the first 45 days to identify and then the rest of those days to actually get it closed. Well, that gets stressful. We've done this the with first a couple four, of properties. Yeah, I get very stressed because when we very first put up the, the West Valley house and that money went into the exchange account, we did not have the fourplex no. under contract. And I we, we, we knew that it was, yeah, it, it got a little stressful. And we've had other 1031s that we've done where we have sold the property not knowing the property we're leveling up to. We just knew that it was time to sell. Yep. You know, whether it was tenants turning over and so we had a vacancy so we could sell it empty or whatever it would be. We've done this, we've done a handful of 1031 exchanges and a couple of them have been very stressful because I have a 45 day clock to find something, but so and far so good. And if you don't do that, then that money, I mean, it's still yours, but then you have to pay capital it's gains It's called on a failed it. exchange. In the exchange, you, you, know, you lose your 500 bucks, big deal. But what's most painful is the failed exchange, the proceeds then just come back to you and you are subject to the capital gains tax. So you don't want that to happen. But we identified within the 45 days, the fourplex, and, uh, and we were able to close on it a month or two after that. And it's, it's, it's worked out well. It's gone. And, and, and I guess the aha that, I, that I'm so excited about that like kind of gave me goosebumps that made me feel like the smartest guy in the world when this really wasn't that complicated 
was we took the same amount of money that was in a $350,000 asset, the exact same amount of capital is now in a $750,000 asset that has far more uh, uh, better numbers because we've got four units all producing, you know, it's, and, and again, it's just bigger and bigger does matter in real estate because of the debt reduction and the appreciation and the tax benefits are on the macro level of the whole 750, not just the cash you put yeah. into it. So our cash was working just as hard in the single family home, uh, but making far less than what it will be doing in the fourplex now. Well, and it will even help out, right? If, if those renters would have moved out in the West Valley home, we would have collected $0 for rent. Mm-hmm. If if we have four of uh, the fourplex and one renter moves out, we still have three others that are collecting the cash flow. In theory, we could probably pay all of our bills, maybe even profit from what we're getting with three people. And then the fourth one's all gravy. Yeah. And that's the joy of multifamilies. It's almost like you're subsidizing. You never have a, a 100% vacancy. Mm-hmm. You have fractional vacancies, which is nice. Challenging thing with multifamily is simply finding them. Yep. We don't have a lot in Utah. It's because everyone don't. wants them because they're awesome. Yeah, we, we built a bunch in the 70s, a few in the 80s. So you'll find those. And then like nothing in the 90s and early 2000s, we just didn't build them. And then it's only been in the last decade that we've we've got really just one developer that's been building them and putting them you know, on the open market. But there's been tons built, but it's all done by private equity groups that build it and keep it. So it is slim pickings, but they are out there and we can find them. We found one. And it's working yeah. out and it's new. It's, it's, it's new, new it's construction. It's, it's being built. In yeah. fact, as we, we're going to close here in a couple of months on it, which is interesting because you can t- 1031 because we closed on a construction loan and a down payment and we were able to 1031 that. So even though the property's not done, we got it all done. We'll finish the construction and, and be off to the races on it. Um, but this is a good example of, of when you catch that real estate investing bug. Yeah, you want to go wide, you want to get a lot of residential properties, retire with your six properties, but there is that level of like, well, what if I do that and I'm like not even 30 years old yet, which we are surrounded with a bunch of young 20-something-year-old millennials that are following this path that have got a handful of rentals and they are asking that question of like, what's next? And I like talking about leveling up and I like talking about 1031 exchanges because you can, you know, you can always go wider on more and more residential but then there's always the commercial bug and there's always the multifamily, you know, angle that, that you can do. And commercial, uh, we have ventured into our first couple of commercial properties and they just like knock your socks off. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we really like those. Um, we've partnered with them with someone that knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And so that's been very helpful. So if you're looking to jump into commercial and you don't know where to get started, find someone that knows. That. Well, and people can, don't usually jump right into commercial because commercial financing is, is very different. Yes. Um, you have to have usually 20, 25% down. So it's, it's quite a bit of capital purchase price in general and commercial is just usually quite a bit more. So you usually have partners to pull that up unless you've got a lot of cash to do these. But the nice thing with commercial is just like you had mentioned before, you're not emotionally invested into the physical nature of the property quite as much. It's a little bit more of a business. Um, and so that, that works out well, but also your tenants, you don't sign one year leases on commercial. They're usually signing a minimum of three year, but usually a five and even a 10 year lease, or you snag a Starbucks building or a Chili's and a lot of those franchises, they'll sign 30 year leases all day long. So you have a tenant for 30 years 
committed, you just kick back and just let that machine do its thing for a while. When I feel like when you raise the rents, they're like, yeah, I'm a business. I'm making more money. You should too. Well, and keep in mind, most commercial leases have a built-in two or 3% rate increase annually for those 30 years. So the, the rent increase is already built in. Yeah. So it, it can be, it can be quite fascinating. And then of course, those of us that have SBA loans, don't even get me started, but SBA, Small Business Administration of America, is who we did our loans for on our commercial building. And when COVID hit, SBA was like the relief package for, for COVID victims. And one of their package deals was those of us with SBA loans got some mortgage payment forgiveness. That was a real thing. That was, that was the greatest incentive to like stay in business that I saw come out of the COVID. I mean, obviously we had PPP, but a lot of people didn't realize that they also took care of those of us with commercial loans. So if you're interested in doing that, let's, and we can dive really deep into some yeah. of that stuff, uh, but let's kind of go back to our story uh, and, and maybe talk about a couple other discoveries that we've made. One particular that's on my mind that is very new to us. So we don't claim to be the experts, but as we've moved our properties into bigger and better, um, we've got now a couple of multifamily, a couple of commercial, like I mentioned, uh, and the portfolio has gotten wide enough that we were introduced to a concept called cost segregation. And this is for the taxes. Again, the, the, the least sexy of the four quadrants uh, are, are the taxes, but it can by far be one of the most effective. And uh, we talked about having business expenses that can save you in taxes. And we also have talked about uh, depreciating your asset on that 27 and a half year schedule with your accountant. But there's this new, it's not new. It's no. like the secret of the rich is what I, yeah. I, I really think it is. It's called cost segregation. Well, yeah. So we, we kind of discovered this when we got our first commercial building, because they're very popular on commercial buildings is you do this cost segregation, like the overall building. Um, and I'm not a tax guy, so <laughs> disclosure right there. Um, but from my understanding, what they do is they take the building and normally they depreciate it over 27 and a half years or whatever, but there's all these other little parts. So like in our building, there was furniture that we owned. And so we needed to depreciate furniture way faster than 27 and a half years. No one owns a couch for that long. Mm -hmm. And so those parts of the building were able to be depreciated way quicker. And so we took this huge um, tax advantage. I don't even know what to call it. I, we got to write off a lot of the building in year one. Yeah. Cost segregation is just for one year, but it essentially takes a whole bunch of these they identify all these little items in your property and, yeah. on, and we're doing it on residential right yeah, now. So right maybe now, we'll so. report back after this tax season's yeah. done because this is our first time doing it on a residential. We did a lash on commercial. It was so successful. We decided, okay, let's do this on residential. So this company, I didn't, it's quite expensive, but the tax savings is, is so significant. It makes sense, but they identify all these little things and they depreciate all in this first year. So you essentially get this huge, huge loss from a tax standpoint, on this year, which can offset that, you know, that income by enough that the tax savings is just through the roof. Yeah, we, we were talking about it, like, in theory, if you bought a big enough building, or commercial, multifamily, whatever, your savings on your taxes, if, if you had a big tax in bill, first in year. that first year could probably go fund you to buy another property. <laughs> and that's why I call it the secret of the rich. Yeah, if they just do this every year and keep identifying another building, it, it just, yeah, it just it's crazy. It, it compounds to put it into perspective, itself. guys, we don't own like that many rental properties. We, no. we have 
I don't even eleven buildings and yeah. and seventeen or eighteen doors or whatnot. But this saving is like ninety thousand dollars to us this year. Yeah, just to kind of put it out there, like ninety thousand. Like, could we go buy another rental property? Absolutely. Yeah, like that, there's a down payment. Right there's there. a down payment right there. So if this if this uh, and and that's how it was on the commercial building last year. So this year on a residential stuff, we thought, gosh, let's do it. Let's take that ninety and let's buy some more. So look it up. But I did want to just mention that that exists because I feel like you know I see those TikTok videos all the time that say, what's a secret that or what what's something that you know that should be illegal or whatever you know. Yeah. And I and I feel like this is it. Like I've just we've discovered this cost segregation. And it's like this should be illegal, but it's not. It's like it's a it's a tax you know incentive if you will. And, uh, it's all by the book. So when, if you have a great tax person, I mean, that's key because that's how we got introduced to this. And then we were also told to do solar and we got a big tax break on doing solar on one of our buildings, our commercial yeah. buildings. And so it all kind of added up for us and it was, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot. No, I love this. Well, uh, I hope all of you guys have learned something here. And if, 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 if anything, just been inspired that real estate investing is not me and Cameron are not the most sophisticated people out there. We love it. We're interested in it. We spend a lot of time on it, but we certainly aren't the geniuses out there and, and we're doing it. We're not doing it perfectly, but it's, it's working out and, and you can too. We would hope that everybody listening will at least start with their first one. And if you own four or five properties and you're at that crossroads in your life where it's a matter of time to level up and buy something bigger or better, jump into it. They're out there. <clears throat> Learn the 1031 exchange. Call us. We've got a 1031 exchange company. We've done three or four of them personally at this point. We help our clients to do 1031s all the time at this point because it's such a an, an easy and smart vehicle to use. So let us know. Any other tips or comments you want to leave? Uh, I think this kind of brings it back to have a great professional in your corner, right? Not only to help you buy the real estate, know when to sell it, do the taxes, all of that, like surround yourself with great people. Yeah. Real estate investing is a team sport. Yep. It's not a solo sport. Get a good team around you and uh, it'll pay off. Okay. Thanks for joining us on this episode and we'll see you on the next one. You've been listening to the Red Sign Podcast, a deep dive into legacy wealth building through real estate. See you next time.